I want to ask you something that kind of goes into the idea of darkness and uh, takes you into the question for you, for me, that I've had on my mind a lot this week in uh, this, the final message in a series called Choices, Doing What is Right. Um, I want you to... uh, I want you to answer a question, or at least consider a question this morning. Uh, How do you define what shapes right and wrong when it comes to you? And you don't need to shout it out. Um, I actually made a list of things that I thought, well, at different times, that shaped my view of uh, what is right and what is wrong. Because it occurs to me that in order to choose what is right, you got to make a decision there uh, between right and wrong. Uh, so let me start just kind of was thinking about our world today and my journey in this world. I was thinking about political parties. Okay? Um, you, you might say, well, I'm a Republican, therefore, and you can finish your sentence. Or you might say, I'm a Democrat, and Democrats do, and you finish your sentence. Uh, You might choose another party, an independent party or a uh, libertarian party, something like that. And that may, in fact, inform much of how you live. Maybe not, but that's one possibility. Um, Another possibility is teachers. You sometimes or often refer to teachers who taught you in grade school, middle school, high school, college, post-grad, whatever it is. A teacher that said something that framed a truth for you, at least at the time, and you, you followed that. I'll refer to one a little bit later in my message. Uh, that's a possibility. I, you can't go far in this questioning without thinking about friends, right? So we have peer groups, people at school or people in our team that... Um, I'm not sure it's ever a formal kind of thing, but it's a shared. They're doing it. I'll try it. You know, I may do it. They think that way. Well, maybe that's the right way to think. So some would answer that's part of how you sort of decide. You make your choice between right and, uh, and wrong. Um, then, then I got to thinking about my work life. And a boss has a pretty important point for many of us, right? Actually, some of us, it's not true today because if you lose your job, you'll find a new hundred options tomorrow, right? But that's not normal. Normally, you actually hold on to your job because you're not sure what you'll do if you lose your job, right? So it tends to point to, I listen to what my boss says. Now, I'm not going to follow him off a bridge or that kind of thing, you know, of course, but your boss you, you kind of make make sure he wins at that golf game you're playing with him, right? You know that that joke. So you, boss might be one of those. Um, and then it got real personal. I was thinking of my parents and my family life. Is it is it your parents? And if you're thinking your parents, you might even have the support of Scripture behind you in your thinking. Because Ephesians 6 says, children, honor your mother and father, obey your parents, for this is right, and it's <laughs> my dad's interrupting my message right now and saying, amen, preach that, brother, preach it. And so I will. Um, <laughs> but you, you honor your, you obey your 
you embrace your mom and dad because the Bible actually supports you in doing that and says to you, it's the first commandment with a promise. There's a payoff for that. Um, keep that in mind too, Dad. But anyway, um, so then I thought of culture. I went real wide at this point. And maybe you need to as well to think through your answer, what shapes how you or these standards are being framed and uh, choosing that response. Culture seems to me the uh, core ethic of culture is, is basically um, it's okay if nobody gets hurt. So you're free to do and choose whatever you want. Can you see the, 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 the boundaries going big? You can choose anything you want as long as no one gets hurt. So what that looks like today gets bigger and bigger all the time. You can smoke pot if you want today. Don't do it in church. That would be really tacky. But um, you, can, you can snort coke. And if you're caught, it might be a misdemeanor. It might be a ticket in some places, enlightened places like Portland, Oregon, right? So that's just okay today. Uh, let me get, get a little more uncomfortable right here. If porn is your thing, then as long as no one gets hurt, knock yourself out. That's the society, that's the culture that's, that's trying to help us with defining right and wrong. Frankly, there's no help at all there. Take promiscuity since we're thinking in those terms. Same thing. No one gets hurt. Our culture might say, no big deal. I can't leave that list without mentioning abortion or, or um, other kinds of sins. Homosexuality. All have a place in a pluralistic society, we're told, as long as no one gets hurt. I knew that would stop us from breathing for a minute. Um, let me get one more that's really in play here, I think in all of our lives. Is it self? Is that how you, you consult yourself because you are autonomous and we are the land of the free, right? So put those two together and that means I'm free to decide for me. And many people say that's exactly and emphatically true, Pastor. Um. So what's your source for deciding what is self? Uh, I told you I'd mention a professor, a friend of mine. He became a friend um, because um, he was that guy willing to meet with me in other places than just sitting there hearing a lecture. So uh, I would golf with him and things like that. And I got a lot of good input, but nothing better than Neil Anderson's words. By the way, he has a ministry called uh, freedom, freedom in Christ Ministries. Really outstanding because at the core of it is this book we call the Holy Bible, Truth from God. Okay, so Neil Anderson says this about my question this morning: the truest thing that could be said about you 
is what God has to say. I'm going to modify his words slightly this morning, sorry, Norm. The truest thing that could be said about anything, amen, is what God has to say. That's right. So um, that means by definition, if we embrace that, if you say that's good, Pastor, then that means things like CNN and Fox News and Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. could be said about you. I hate to break the news. If it is, is what God has to say, then what we've been told that, well, I, I looked it up. It was on the internet. Might not be so true. I, I After all, it's, it's going viral. Must be true. So, it's particularly true when it comes to defining Christ or a standard for Christ. The truest thing that could be said about anything is what God has to say. That's right. It's, a, it's an amen point every time I hear it. So you realize, for example, that just because uh, you have a right as an American doesn't make it right. You understand that? We all understand that, right? We have lots of rights as an American. For example, cheating on your spouse is legal. Did you know that? It's legal. But gosh, I'm, I'm out of words to describe how immoral that is. Uh, there's, there's more on my list. Watching pornography, I mentioned it earlier is absolutely, perfectly legal and completely immoral. That's why we live, we, we uh, support ministries that help people overcome that. If you're struggling with that, you don't have to struggle with that. And there's help to help you overcome that. Because that's God's bias and belief and hope for your life and for yours. Um, let me take some other things that are just, I'm just picking on all kinds of things this morning. But um, let's go lying, gossip, um, cursing, hating. None of those things, listen to me now, will put you behind bars. You can do it all. But they're wrong. And I said it earlier, and I need to say it again. Abortion is, is supported by government and legal and available almost everywhere in this country. And it's an unspeakable evil. It is. So don't, don't give me the exceptions and the exemptions. That baby has a right to live. Done. Sorry. That's done. All right. I'll get mail. That's okay. I'll get, and I won't get it from most of you because that's that's overkill. So, <laughs> um, which raises a question: How do people who make wrong choices manage to stab in their conscience 
over what I just did was wrong. How, how do you do that? There's one word. And you can write this down and take a conversation or two to process it. It's called rationalization. All right, listen to me now. Rationalization. We rationalize when we do something that is wrong. I've listed plenty of them, okay? And we come up with explanations. We need excuses to, to sort of reduce that sense of guilt for what we did. That's rationalization. Uh, it probably won't surprise you when I tell you that that's not new. That actually comes right out of the third chapter of the Bible. The book of Genesis. I'm not going to have you turn there. I just want you to hear this, okay? Go with all the little pieces of information that float around in our minds because we've heard about Genesis and we get when the first couple shows up in chapter 3. And they're, all, they're in the garden, okay? A couple of facts that will jump out at you. Adam and Eve were put there with a clear definition of right and wrong. Ready? I'm not done with my sentence. From God. Okay? So they, don't, don't, don't add things to the story when you read it again in Genesis 3. They were put there by God with an absolute, airtight, clear understanding of right and wrong. That is a fact. Secondly, second fact, both Adam and Eve chose bad anyway. Both of them did. And, and, and that, that's right. Eve grabbed the fruit and ate it, gave some to him who was standing there, and he ate it. Adam ate it. They did it both. That makes both of them sinful. But remarkably, incredibly, without any tutoring, with no Facebook, Instagram, or, or Twitter, they found a way to answer a simple question by God. Hey, started with Adam. Adam, did you? And his answer should have been yes or no. But his answer started with the woman. That's rationalization. Are you hearing it? And so God gives up on that and moves her direction and says to Eve, did you? And her first answer was not yes or no. It was the serpent. She actually adds that you put here. <laughs> wow. What a, what. <laughs> it's crazy, right? So they, both of them rationalize their behavior by inventing explanations um, meant to give a valid reason for choices that they made clearly in plain view to make them feel not so uh, bad about what they were doing. Um, so from the garden, Bibles to Isaiah chapter 5. Just a moment. Genesis 3 to Isaiah 5. Okay? And um, I'll just tell you in a sentence what we, what I had you imagine in the garden. Um, it wasn't much longer before it became sort of a practice that caught on and became a nationwide habit. 
of ancient Israel. That's how people rolled in that day. You might have blown it, but don't admit it. That's kind of the thinking. And it brought a not-so-subtle rebuke by Isaiah the prophet in chapter 5, quoting God, verse 20. Would you please look at these words? Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Verse 20. Who put darkness, called darkness, light, and light, darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So what's he saying? He's saying just as night is different than day, he uses the word bitter. Let's say it. Just as dill pickles are different than sweet pickles. With me? That brings it home, right? Um, so too, evil is different than good. That's what he's saying right there in verse 20. That means that switching labels changes nothing. I can... I can grab a jar that says dill pickles and I open it up and I reach in and get a pickle and bite into it and immediately know I've been had if it's in fact wrongly labeled and they're really sweet pickles on the inside. You get me, right? We, we understand that kind of thinking. Um, you can call evil behavior good. Wow, is that our world or is that God's world? You can call it good all you want. But that doesn't change the core DNA of each human So we come today to this conclusion in a series that uh, was spawned by the book of Judges. If you'll turn back there. I want you to turn to chapter 2 of Judges just one last time this morning. So the seventh book of the Bible, a little easier for you to find, Judges chapter 2. And um, it's a book that describes what we've referred to along the way these last four months, the dark ages of ancient Israel. It was not a good time. Um, The time stamp that Judges captures, only 21 chapters, um, goes from the great life and leadership of Joshua all the way to the first king of Israel, Saul. That span is centuries, 325 years to be exact. Um, So I titled this three-month study, uh, Choices Doing What is Right, and it's inspired by this alarming pattern presented in Judges where where God's people would start out well, they would do what is right, and then they'd leave the path. Do you know anybody like that? Are you raising your hand for you or for somebody else, right? We all get that. It's like people have woken up the morning after they did the most unthinkable sinful things and called you and said something to the effect, what in the world did I do? And then they found it on the wrong page and and the Bible has beautiful words but it's a painful path back um, so these 
people of God, the Israelites, started out well, and then they wandered away from God. And now you're ready to just see the good news. That whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. This is verse 10 of chapter 2. He's referring to the people that were alive during the days of Joshua. And now they've faded off the scene. They've died one by one. And that generation is now gone. Another generation grew up who knew, listen to this, neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Lots you could go into and you have along the way. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the, the idols, Baals, uh, is one of the idols. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various other false gods, the gods of the people around them and kings. They aroused in doing so the Lord's anger because they forsook him and chose phony gods that don't even exist. They're idols made of wood. They got ears, but they can't hear. Eyes, they can't see. What are you doing? was the tone that we're reading here. Verse 14, In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to defend themselves. They were powerless of their own making. When Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them just as he had sworn he would do, and they were in great distress. Look at verse 16. Then the Lord raised up in their distress raiders, uh, judges rather, who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to these judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods, false gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned away from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's command. Do you hear the same theme again? Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of his hands of the enemy as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented. That means changed his mind because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors. Following other gods and serving and worshiping them, they refused to give up their evil practices and their stubborn Robert Robinson. He was a troubled teenager. Uh, he 
some pretty, we would say, bad influences. You ever said that to your kids? Okay. I heard it one time from my parents. Uh, but anyway, uh, moving on. Um, he had plenty, this Robert Robinson, had plenty of, uh, I'm going to call them sin stories, that he could tell by the age of 17. Um, then one day, there was a man, a Jesus-loving evangelist named George Whitfield, who came to the city with a young man from London. And, um, and he preached a message inspired by some really kind of convicting words that Amos the prophet of old, it's also in our Bible in chapter 4, verse 12 of his writings, Amos said this, prepare to meet thy God. This young man sat out there and his jaw fell and his heart sank as he realized he was anything but prepared to meet his God. He's 17 years old. Realizing he wasn't prepared, he repented of his sin and he surrendered to Jesus Christ. So six short years later, from 17 to 23, very short amount of time, he realized that his choice to follow Jesus back when he was that 17-year-old and heard the message of the gospel, it didn't stay with him. He was he was afflicted by this problem. He had this stubborn penchant for repeating sin habits. He goes back often to when he was 17 going, what was, what was that and why is this? You ever done that? And it, it's a self-deprecating thing. You just go, what is this? Romans 7, the Apostle Paul going, what kind of guy does what I'm doing? psalm that seemed to resonate with a whole bunch of people about the fount of every fountain called come thou fountain and in the song these three sentences bind my wandering heart to thee oh god oh god make that your prayer you're the guy that goes off the path you've done some of these things but you can go back to when you met jesus and you're going where were i Pray what Robinson prayed. Bind my wandering heart to thee. And then he says, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. I, I have this thing inside me. I feel the tendency to go, I want to walk straight and I wander off. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. tell you how many times I've poured those words out from a heart that's self-sick. It's like, God, what is my deal? This isn't five years ago, people. This is bad drivers today. They make me lose my religion half the time. I'm just like, dude, man, leave this state now, you know? say that to help you laugh, but I also say it to admit to you only the very acceptable things do those words describe you prone to wander Lord I feel 
not just because it's it's that sort of misunderstanding excuse, it's because we we haven't settled a single truth. That Israel failed in something essential. What is that? Well, it's it's actually stated four times in the Old Testament. I want to give you just these most obvious ones. And I'm I'm telling you, go to the last verse in the entire Old Testament. Uh, turn to Judges 21, verses 1 through 5. Trust me when I tell you it's in your notes. There's three other places that these exact words appear. Um, but it's this final verse that really kind of captures it. Um, the assessment The judgment is made, verse 25, In those days Israel had no king, everyone did. Just say, they saw fit. Can I give it to you in another translation? Talking to you. Judges 21, 25. New Living Translation says it this way, All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. about a fitting description of our lives. Remember, go get God and get help. Um, Our culture today is now suspect of the suggestion that there is a set and settled standard um, with certain talking to somebody that's not a Christian about certain set and settled standards that have moral mandates to them and they will come back strong with ridiculous I will be the listener and they will say it with a scoffing tone Um, God's absolute thought by many today to be arrogant and controlling and and frankly audacious how dare you suggest that what I've done is not okay um, that's the tone of words that have driven my ministry for Second Timothy 4, last chapter Paul ever wrote. I wrote it to young Timothy, and in those days I thought to myself, I better end it. And he says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who preached the gospel to you. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, and teach with great patience, for the time will come when people will no longer endure sound doctrine. They will go, what? They will say, what? That's cool for you, but not me. Instead, they will gather, instead of teachers that teach the truth, they will gather teachers who will say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn aside their ears from the truth 
and they will turn to the ways of the world and live. And then he finishes, but you, Eve, put your name in there if you dare. You, endure hardship. Do, do the work of teaching truth and being an evangelist and fulfill your gather people who say what their issue is I want to deal with that it's feeding a practice that we're talking about the thousand years old pattern of judgment that we're seeing all over the world um, and I want you to look these, these verses up for all in your notes as well seven times throughout the 21 chapters about every three chapters of judgment seven times this assessment is made of people who chose wrong or right based on what they wanted, them as the absolute source. It says these words seven times, they did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. You get that seven times in Judges. Proverbs is used emphatically with certain words like Proverbs 12.15, the way of fools leads right to destruction. John MacArthur has observed, quoting, today's truth is regarded as a matter of personal perspective. Many believe today that nothing can be known with settled certainty. So common phrases like my truth and your truth suggests that all truth claims are really nothing more than personal opinions and they deserve to be treated as such. Um, this is the practice at the end of that quote. This is the practice I hear with a growing number of counselors. Uh, counselors, maybe you talk to some and you need to talk further about this question of truth. And you've heard, you've told them I need, I need help. I need counsel. And uh, in going to them, they might even have it on a, a sign or they'll say it very comfortably in the early going that I'm, I'm committed to truth. That's my counseling approach. I'm committed to truth. But if you press further, as I have on more than a few occasions, and find out what they're really saying is my counseling vision is to help my clients embrace their truth. I've had too many people come to me and say, I went to a counselor and this is what I heard. Is that really true? Well, it's their truth. And those counselors, false teachers may I label them, are giving garbage out and saying, well, as long as you embrace your truth, you're good to go. I'm not saying I'm not throwing counselors and therapists under the bus as a group, but I'm saying be careful and find out if this is the truth they're talking about. And if they're not, just comfortably pay your $200 an hour bill and leave. Just don't even go there. It will, it will um, entrap you in 
doing what is right is only consistently possible if we embrace the God that declares said about you or anyone is what God has the time of the judgment. That's why these are my new favorite verses in the Bible. They're also a warning to perhaps uh, as I've tried to make clear throughout this series. Judges isn't just a book about law and justice. It's about this week and lots of other things. Lots of particular things. Um, There's a warning for people like us who are carefully someone wrong amounts of medication can kill them. Having an investment advisor advisor make a wrong investment, a monetary decision on your behalf can impoverish a person. Uh, Boarding a wrong plane will take you to a place you do not wish to go. Consequences more important than in areas of faith and religion. And I conclude, eternity is an awful long time to be wrong. Don't don't trifle with eternity. So you say, Pastor, I'm with you 100% on this. I don't want to miss, I don't want to guess it. talk about the gospel, call the gospel in a formal way, the good news. It's good news, but it starts with kind of bad news about Jesus. It's bad news about the fact that humans who do what is right in their own eyes is what the Bible calls sin. And when we do that, once, twice, or habitually, it makes us sinners to the definition of the Bible. Uh, They haven't gone God's way 
but they've gone instead, as Isaiah 53 says, their own way. And for those of us who think, well, that's not entirely true in this passage, then you're disagreeing with the Bible because it says each of us has done this. And it's in the notes again, Psalm 14, Psalm 53, and Romans 3 all agree that there's no exception in this room or those hearing afar and wide. When we do what is right in our own eyes, we are defined by God as human, sinful humans. And there's a consequence for doing what they want, what I want, what we want, while ignoring what God wants. And this consequence is according to the Bible in Romans 6, verse 22. For the wages, the consequence of sin is death, deserved banishment from God forever. deny the whole purpose of Jesus coming. They ignore the whole reality of a cross 33 years later that involves the same baby born in Bethlehem. Only this cross had him hanging from a, a tree and suffering sinners like you and me. God, because he loves sinful humans. 100% he loves us. And because he loves us, he made a way for us to have a future. Um, and for it to turn out very differently. Incredibly, he sent his son. And, and, and he sent him to a cross believes in Jesus Christ will be given will not perish but have everlasting life <laughs> never get tired of saying that even to people that know him and embrace him Lewis described two outcomes of that human decision. Here's what he said. There are two kinds of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done, normally on bended knees. And those to whom God says, Don't do what is right in your own eyes. 
going to appeal a step further to you who are on the fence, to you who have heard it but not settled it. This is 2021. You're not in your teens anymore. Most of you. You're days, years, decades closer to eternity than you are. We don't want to take a chance on that. This God that we've described who loves us so much that he sent his son, he he loved people that were still sinners and in their final moments surrendered to him when he made eternal promises you will see me as soon as lights turn out you will be with me don't complicate it the devil wants to confuse you don't do it Luke 18 tells about a man that says very simply and and it profoundly changed his eternity. He cried out, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I get, I'm going to meet that guy. I'm going to meet those two and many more. C.S. Lewis also said the two most common things heard in heaven will be, hey, what are you doing? what's so rich and real. It's rooted in your word from the earliest days of humans on this planet. I pray that we would not lose sight of it, that we would embrace it, that we would consult you as the ultimate keeper of truth, and that we would consult you in big and little decisions, and especially in the decision that's before us today. conversation this morning would say, I want to settle this because I don't want to mess with my family. And the chances make me doubt it.